0: Welcome to this podcast from Rolling Roads Baptist Church of Greensboro, North Carolina. You're invited to join with us as we are growing towards Christ. The following is a message from a recent Sunday morning worship service. Well, our Bible study podcast this week continues on in session five of how to discern The Voice of God. These lessons were by Richard Blackaby in our Bible Studies for Life. And this is for the week of February 19th, which seems like a long time ago, but it was just this past Sunday. So the question is, does it honor God? If you are hearing a voice and trying to discern if it is God's voice or not, ask the question, does it honor God? Because the main point is, God's voice always leads us to glorify Him and accomplish His purposes. And our focal passage is John chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. So he begins by talking about uh, gazing at a piece of art. And he talks about the... You don't really marvel over the canvas. And you don't get excited about a color in the painting. You marvel over the artist. And his example is the sculpture David by Michelangelo. Considered one of the finest sculptures in the world. And he points out that it is an exceptional piece of white marble. But people aren't just amazed by the marble. What they're drawn to is what was done with it. Michelangelo at age 26, how could he make such an amazing sculpture with such incredible detail so we don't glory in the sculpture, we glory in the sculptor, he says. It's not simply David, it's Michelangelo's David. We can't look at this scripture and not a uh, sculpture and not think of Michelangelo. As God's creation, our lives are to point to the glory of our creator. I think that's a good point. Uh, our lives are to point to the glory of our creator. God calls us to live for his glory. And it's in His glory that we find our greatest purpose. And um, the picture at the beginning of the lesson is of a medal of honor marker in a military cemetery where the people who are buried there have received the medal of honor. What's the greatest honor you or someone you know has ever received? And so we glorify God with our lives and we are called to glorify Him and accomplish His purposes. So, our first verses are verses 1 through 3 of John 17. Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, so that the Son may glorify You, since You gave Him authority over all people, so that He may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. This passage of scripture is the beginning uh, of the high priestly prayer, and this is after the long talk in, in the upper room back in began in chapter thirteen and and Judas has left to betray Christ and Jesus is praying to his father in heaven and he notes that his hour has come so as you've heard me talk before you've heard this before that the gospel of John this what we call the signs gospel a lot of times you know it is made up of all these signs but one of the themes running through it is the divine hour or the hour of Jesus Or what I called, I think in my thesis, the eschatological hour or something like that. But the idea is that it's the divinely appointed hour, as he says here in the lesson. Divine timing. And so, when Jesus is saying glorify the Son, it's not self-centered, it's God-centered. Because it's part of God's divine plan that has been going on from the beginning Of his ministry. So, the way the Father was going to glorify the Son was to have him crucified. This is a hard thing to think about, but the way the Father was going to glorify the Son was to have him crucified. It would be on the cross that Jesus would bring the greatest glory to his Father. So, by praying for his time on the cross to come, Jesus is accepting his Father's will, although it meant excruciating torture on the Roman cross. So the word uh, glorify can also mean magnify or lift up. Uh, there are many times in there when Jesus says, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw men unto me. Or when I am lifted up, this are the lifted up sayings which are closely tied together with this glorification of Christ. These are all in the book of John. And it can include the idea of taking a close look at something to see it clearly, to glorify it or to magnify it. So what Jesus is doing is he's, by being lifted up on the cross as the Son of God, he's focusing all the attention of the world onto his cross. And that's one of the things about Christianity is it is... Focusing people's attention on that sacrifice on the cross so that they will come away taking a close look at Jesus. And then as Blackaby says, coming away with a higher view of God, the father that draws them to faith and trust. What do you think of that? It's at the bottom of page 144. So this is a prayer that we can pray as well. Such as he has on at the top of the next page. God let people take a close look at my life. Particularly when I am suffering. So they are drawn to you. This is suffering and ministry in the spirit. That they go hand in hand. That the idea is not that if you are with God that you won't suffer. That's the opposite of the truth. It's part of glorifying Christ By crucifying the self or crucifying the things of this world, or as Paul says, putting to death his old self. So, this is all tied in together with Jesus as our example to glorify God. And so, Jesus prayed that his Father would glorify him on the cross so that he could provide life to everyone that his Father had given to him. What is this life? Blackaby goes on a long paragraph here explaining eternal life. Jesus explained what eternal life is, he writes. It involves knowing the only true God in Jesus Christ who the Father sent. God is not one of many. He alone is God. He is not a fake God propagated by false prophets and deceivers. There is only one true God and only one God who can give eternal life. Eternal life does not merely describe the length of your life when you live forever with Christ in His glory. It describes the quality of your life as you live in relationship with God the Father and God the Son. Eternal life does not come from a casual or intellectual relationship, but from a bond that is intimate and loving. Eternal life begins the moment you become a Christian. The quality of our lives as Christians ought not to be dramatically superior to the life lived by unbelievers. Oh, I'm sorry. That didn't make sense. The quality of our lives as Christians ought to be dramatically superior to the life lived by unbelievers. This is not because Christians earn more money or live in nicer houses or drive fancier cars. <laughs> i will stick to the notes. It is because when we abide in Christ his joy fills us to overflowing John 15:11 and his peace guards our hearts and our minds so eternal life means that we live each day with a keen awareness of our close relationship with God and so remember our main point is that God's voice always leads us to glorify him And accomplish his purposes. And so the next two verses are verses 4 through 5 as Jesus continues his prayer. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. Well, we know a lot about Jesus from this prayer, don't we? You can see exactly who he is. He's God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, uh, existing from all time, before time. And so, Jesus declared he had glorified his Father by completing the work you gave me to do. And we know Jesus' assignment was not easy, was it? He spoke to large crowds. He healed countless people. He trained his disciples. He traveled everywhere by foot. He faced constant criticism and opposition. And nevertheless, the climax of his work was when he died on a cross. Had he quit before going to the cross, his previous efforts would have been for nothing. His work to glorify his Father was meant for him to complete it and bring it to the fullness. So at times, Blackaby writes on page 148, our obedience is, to God's will can be costly. Cost The cost of discipleship. We may face opposition or criticism. That's very, very, very true. We may never see the fruits of our labor or the true fruits of our labor. We're sometimes called just to plant seeds, I guess. And so he says, we may endure sacrifice and loss. In such cases, we may be tempted to quit in discouragement, It can be tempting to leave a challenging assignment for one that is less demanding. But if we leave before we're finished, before we finish the work God has for us, we've only partly obeyed. And so he's telling us to follow Jesus' example and to complete the work. And Jesus prayed that as a result of the completion of his work that the Father had given him, that is to take away the sins of the world, He would be glorified with the same glory he enjoyed before the world began. John identified Jesus as the Word, and it was through the Word, Jesus, that everything in the universe was created. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Nevertheless, Christ did not consider his exalted position in heaven as something to be grasped or held onto with two clenched fists. Instead, he emptied himself And became a man, dying on a cross. Philippians two, verses five through eleven. As Jesus completed His work on earth, He looked forward to returning to the Father and sharing His glory once more. When we finish the work God gave us, God reveals. uh, God receives glory, and we enjoy fellowship with the Lord. Well, the last section is verses six through nine. Our main point to glorify Him. And accomplish his purpose is if we're hearing God's voice, that's what it's going to lead us to do. So verse 6, Jesus continues his prayer. I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, because they are yours. So, Jesus began praying for his disciples here in this section. And he had revealed God to them, and he's praying for them again, because he knew his Father had given him these people. He was excited. He knew that there would be people. And that his his teaching would continue on. And the teaching about his upcoming glorification and resurrection. Would be spread and taught to the people. And uh, Jesus had been diligent about teaching them about God's character. And leading them in their own relationship with God. And uh, you know. Jesus knew that they were from the world. That's why they often acted like the world. Blackaby writes, "When James and John asked for positions of honor, they were acting the way the world does, coveting the world's treasures. And in the process of discipling them, Jesus gave the disciples the words that God had given him, and and now he declared that they have kept your word. And I guess this would be for many a contrast to what Judas was." Doing Even at that time while Jesus was praying. And uh, the disciples knew that everything had been given to them through Christ from the Father. And imagine what it would be like, Blackamy says. How wonderful it is when people can tell that your words and beliefs come from God. When they can tell. And the disciples had realized this because Jesus said, what Jesus said was always affirmed in scripture. And those words were backed up with God's power. Do you see that wonderful combination there? And so now the glorification part of it comes in. Glorifying God and accomplishing his purposes flows from that original ministry of Jesus with the disciples. So Jesus prayed for those that the Father had given to him. Thinking about the, their future, he knew that they would be scattered by fear into the night, and he even foresaw that Peter would deny even knowing him. Jesus knew that Satan would do everything he could to destroy the church before it was successfully begun or had begun to spread. And there's tremendous effort for believers in knowing that Christ continues. I'm, I'm sorry, there's tremendous comfort. For believers, in knowing that Christ continues to intercede for us even today. So we think of Jesus praying way back then, but remember that he intercedes for us at the right hand of God the Father even today to help us to glorify God and accomplish his purposes. And so he points out that one of the big applications from this lesson is prayer that we can also honor God as we intercede or pray for others and as we disciple them just like Jesus did uh, and so that we can grow his kingdom that way. That's one of the wonderful things about uh, what we are called to do, to establish groups of disciples uh, who are gathered around the word, worship, and prayer. And that's... uh, The goal and the mission that uh, the purpose that He has given to us. So, I hope this lesson has been a blessing to you. Remember, the main point is that God's voice always leads us to glorify Him and accomplish His purposes. If it's not leading us to do those things, like to glorify, if we're to glorify ourselves or accomplish some other purpose, then it is not clearly. Uh, The voice of God So anyway that makes it very different Than the world's voices So Lord willing I'll see you in church this Sunday At the Rolling Roads Baptist Church Thank you for listening Rolling Roads Baptist Church is located at 2800 Van Story Street in Greensboro, North Carolina Near Four Seasons Town Center And Smith High School You're invited to join with us This Sunday morning at 11am As we are Growing Towards Christ Find us on Facebook and at rollingroads.org.